0: Well, good morning, church family. This is like day 40 or 41 of the president's 30-day guidelines to slow the spread of the coronavirus, and this morning's message is entitled, So Now What? When Your Enemies Are Outside Your Door. Now, to get us started here this morning, church family, uh, we're going to need a little home participation blended. Don't, don't you roll your eyes at me, because what I mean by that is, is, is I'd like for you all and, and home viewer land Uh, to visualize a land a nation a kingdom if you will that has this great heritage Uh, politically uh, militarily uh, materially spiritually in every way possible a superpower perhaps that during its glory years was the envy of all other nations but over the years For a number of reasons, including poor leadership, this land, this nation, this great kingdom had diminished in its splendor. But then one day a leader, a king, rose who said that it was his heart's desire uh, to make the once great nation great once again. And once appointed king, his actions matched his words. As he built up the nation's defenses and he built up its armies in five different divisions, he fortified its borders and fortresses all over the land, Okay, he added uh, store cities and and so the nation w- wouldn't be so dependent upon other nations Okay, so the nation could be more independent and therefore stronger as a nation and less vulnerable to attack from other nations He even called the nation's people to return to worshiping the one true God who the God who had made their nation so great in ancient of days and in the end Well, his plans worked, okay, and the nation was strengthened, and independence was made a lot stronger, and its people prospered, and his strength was known abroad, and other countries feared to make war with him. Can you visualize such a a, a nation, church family? Can you visualize such a king and such a kingdom? Okay, now visualize this. Just when things are going so well for this nation under this king's rule, the unthinkable happens, okay? And the news of an approaching enemy, okay? It's an enemy that's coming from various other nations, okay? An enemy that had kind of gathered up the strength of many armies combined, and an enemy so powerful it promised destruction to large numbers of people, okay? And what's worse is the news of this enemy had no sooner reached the ears of the king when seemingly overnight this enemy was at the king and his kingdom's door. And so the big question very quickly becomes, so now what? So what are we going to do now, O okay? king? Okay, you can stop visualizing, church family, uh, uh, because uh, by now you've probably realized I'm speaking of a king in a kingdom of ancient biblical days, okay? And, and this king has a name, and his name is King Jehoshaphat. And the kingdom he ruled over was the kingdom of Judah uh, during the time period of the divided kingdom uh, during the years of eight 870 to 850 B.C., a hundred years after King David turned Israel's kingdom over to his, tons, uh, his son Solomon. But as you, as you may recall, after Solomon and the glory years, the kingdom of Israel was divided, and the glory days of the Lord and the nation and the kingdom spiraled downward, as a kingdom divided, and the kings who led God's people, that, that led God's people, well, they led them into a, a, get, a greater drift away from God and away from the nation's former glory. In fact, the northern kingdom of Israel has no record of any godly kings until its eventual demise, defeat, and capture, where it's carried off into exile. And this southern kingdom, Judah, had only a few good kings, which delayed for a time God's judgment on Judah. But among the few good kings, judah had comes today's example king jehoshaphat the king of judah now you can read all about this in the book of second chronicles chapter 17 through 20 in fact you may want to turn there turn to chapter 20 and kind of hold that in readiness okay but to kind of set the backdrop this morning let me give you a brief summary of king jehoshaphat's kingship okay after King Asa, who was his father, you know, uh, like King Asa before him, King Jehoshaphat was a good king, okay? Second Chronicles chapter 17, verse 1 and following says this, it says, Jehoshaphat, his son, meaning the son of Asa, succeeded him as king and strengthened himself against Israel. He stationed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and put garrisons in Judah and in the towns of Ephraim that his father Asa had captured. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the ways of his father David before him. He did not consult the Baals, but sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. The Lord established the kingdom under his control, and all Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat so that he had great wealth and honor. His heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. Furthermore, he removed the high places and the Asherah poles from Judah. So, did you catch that? He's compared to the great King David. Okay, so, so what makes a good king in God's sight? Okay, well, a king that is compared to the great King David of years gone by. Well, what's that mean? Well, there are a number of things listed in the text we just read that make King Jehoshaphat just such a king. First, he strengthened his kingdom against outside nations. Secondly, he sought his wisdom in making decisions from the Lord and the, and the Holy Scriptures rather than seeking the wisdom of world advisors. He then made attempts to rid the land of places where they had worshipped the false Baals and Asherah poles. Okay? At the same time, he reinstituted the teaching of God's word and God's laws in the towns of the land. And as we read on, if we read on a little bit, we'll discover a number of other policy changes the king makes as he builds up the nation's defenses, building forts in the outlying towns and store cities, okay? as he builds up vast supplies of needed materials, therefore giving them independence from other nations, He also appointed new judges in the land. In all the fortified cities and towns, instructing these judges, we read about it in chapter 19, 6 and 7, to to where he says, Consider carefully what you do, because you are not judging for mere mortals, but for the Lord, who is with you whenever you give a verdict. Now let the fear of the Lord be on you. Judge carefully, for with the Lord our God there is no injustice or partiality or bribery. And And then he instructs spiritual leaders of the community, as well as family leaders, he says to them, to administer their duties faithfully and wholeheartedly in the fear of the Lord. And the result of all this? Well, in chapter 17, verse 5, it tells us among the people's approval polls, okay, I mean, his popularity goes way up. And because the Bible says, all Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat so that he had great wealth and honor. And among the nations, his power and influence grew as nations feared to make war against him. But then it happened. First, it was just a whisper, but then, seemingly overnight, the powerful enemy was at his back door. Three nations had banded together to attack the kingdom of Judah, and as they approached, the news now reaches the ear of King Jehoshaphat, okay? And that's where we're going to pick up our story today. So, if you haven't already, turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20 as we read of this crisis situation beginning in verses 1 and 2, where it says this. It says, after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, with some of the Menuites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea, and it's already here, and, and they're talking about it's in, in Gedi. And so this vast enemy, which is basically the Assyrians, okay, is at the back door of the king already, and the people, of course, are just okay and so they run you know, they run you know and get the attention of their leader okay and, and they turn to him and the big question is the big question is everyone wants nervously i mean they want to know they're nervous about all this you know so now what so now what what are we gonna do what are we to do now oh king you know one of the good things i think that come out of a crisis type situation and this is true even for kings Uh, I mean, you're reminded, whether you're a king or not, you're reminded that control as human beings is just simply an illusion, right? I mean, no one ever has complete control over their life situations except for God. And no one, including kings, is exempt from life's troubles. A point Jesus made clear to his fathers when he taught, in this life, you will have trouble, right? Right? But when life goes well for us, and you make some good choices, and then life seems to go well for you as a result of that, well, you you can become disillusioned into thinking that you are in control of your life. And the truth is, life for King Jehoshaphat, it's been going along pretty good, okay? I mean, things are going well in the kingdom. Personally, he's being blessed with popularity and great wealth, and life is good for his people. I mean, the economy's just moving right along, going right along, and, and it's all good, but then the unexpected comes. A massive enemy is approaching, one far too great for Judah to defeat. So what's a king to do now? You know, many of you know this, but I, uh, I just love the Old Testament, okay? And I know you've heard me say this before, but I just believe you can't fully understand the New Testament until you understand the Old, okay? For instance, do you know why this is such an important, this is an important, such an important event for Christians? Well, because the Bible prophesies that the Messiah, the Christ, our Savior, the great deliverer is to come out of the tribe of Judah. There can be no Messiah without Judah, you know, no Judah, no Messiah, no Jesus, which means like so many other stories of the Old Testament, the Jehoshaphat story plays a role in God's greater story. You know, the other reason I love the Old Testament and its stories is, is, I mean, God's the same yesterday today and tomorrow and these events not only play a role in god's story but they also have the potential to play a role in our stories which are also to be a role in god's story okay i mean maybe you've heard it like this before this is your story this is my story this is god's story and the result the reason i bring that up is at a time of my writing this message which i actually put this message together back around april 9th our nation's people at that time in cities and towns all over america were already beginning to say So now what? So now what are we going to do, okay? But it wasn't just being asked of our present or local officials. It was being asked of company owners who had made decisions about plant closings or layoffs, you know, not knowing, they, they had to make decisions not knowing what tomorrow would bring. It was being asked of plant managers by their employees wanting to know how to plan their personal finances for tomorrow. It was being asked by heads of family, fathers and mothers who were facing shutdowns or layoffs and left wondering, what does tomorrow, what does next week, what does next month bring? You know, it was being asked of church leaders by church staff, how do we plan for tomorrow when we don't know what tomorrow will bring? And the enemy at the back door appears to be too vast to conquer. And many people for the first time in their life were realizing, and some are left frantic by all this, because they're suddenly, they're realizing that they are not in control. And there are those who are looking to them, looking to them for answers as if to say, so now what? So what do we do now? okay. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, I mean, isn't it awesome? (laughs) Isn't it awesome that the story of Jehoshaphat, a story recorded, you know, nearly 3,000 years ago, was not only a part of God's larger story then, but it is now, in this moment of time, about to impact our story too. Even as our story, which is also part of God's greater story now, it's still being written. I mean, how awesome is that? Well, let's get to it, shall we? Well, since King Jehoshaphat's our example this morning, what did he do, okay? There, that's where we're going to pick up our clues for how to respond in this situation. Well, one thing, and you know takers can write this down. We're going to give you a list of a number of things. But the first thing is, uh, he turned to God for direction. He turned to God for direction. Look with me at verses 3 through 6 of Second Chronicles chapter 20. Uh, here's what it says. Alarmed, I guess so, alarmed. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. And then he's praising God, and he's deserving, right? And then King Jehoshaphat prays this prayer where he presents the problem, and catch this, he admits he doesn't know what to do, okay? He admits the situation's far beyond his control, and he turns it over to the Lord. And I love the last line of the prayer where he admits and he asks, okay? He admits and he asks, for he says to the Lord, for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. So here's the scene. Jehoshaphat is alarmed, right, church family? Why? Because there's this vast threat to not only him but to all the people of the kingdom. And it's so vast and powerful an enemy, it's just too big. And the king knows he cannot defeat it. So of course, he's alarmed. So what do you do when you're the leader and everyone's looking to you for the answer, saying, "So now what?" Okay? So so tell me friends, what would you do? What would you do if you were the king? Would you immediately call for the troops to assemble? Would you go and make ready for war? I mean, it's a military threat. Wouldn't your first reaction be to seek military counsel? I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, it's a military problem, so you seek military I- advice. It's, if it were an economic problem, you, you'd seek the, the country's top economists. If it was a health problem, you'd seek the world's top doctors, right? Because if you have to, I mean, you ought to do something. For everyone's looking to you to do something. Okay, so so does that kind of reasoning make sense? Yeah, probably I mean it never hurts to seek counsel from the top people in their field But I want us to see that that is not what King Jehoshaphat does for instead of seeking counsel with human expert He immediately turns to the Lord for direction and he tells his people to do the very same thing To be clear they first purify themselves and then they fast and pray So, with the enemy standing at the back door, ready to destroy his entire kingdom, rather than call the troops to arms, Jehoshaphat stands up in the assembly of the entire nation in a national broadcast of sorts, okay, and he gathers and he calls on them for a national prayer meeting, okay, a national prayer meeting, yeah. Now, I'm not sure everyone remembers this, but I'm, I mean, it's been a few days now, but, but I'm sure many pastors and church leaders do because this was the precise time. I know it was for us, the precise time church leaders had to make decisions on how to lead their congregations. I mean, it was the weekend of March 13, 14, and 15, okay? That was our big weekend, big weekend church family. That's, we had all these big events planned. but But what was going on is the world was watching. <clears throat> the world was watching to see what our country would do with the threat of COVID-19 virus at the front door of our nation. And the president did two things. You may recall this. He sounded the alarm by declaring a proclamation a national emergency. Okay, And he called for a national day of prayer, saying, and I quote, in our times of greatest need, Americans have always turned to prayer to help guide us through trials and periods of uncertainty. As we continue to face the unique challenges posed by this coronavirus pandemic, I ask you to join me in a day of prayer for all people who have been affected by the coronavirus and to pray for God's healing to be placed on the people of our nation. He then goes on later in the proclamation of prayer to say that there's no problem too big for God to handle and then encourages the people to take heart from the holy words of scripture found in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, which say this, <coughs> casting all your care upon him, he careth for you. Now. I don't know what your political perspective is on our nationals leader, and honestly, uh, you know, his popularity is not the point this morning. The point is, in a time of crisis, he, as our country's leader, asked us to pray for each other and the country. And I know the scriptures ask us to pray for our government leaders, and my prayer and my request is, is that we would do just that. As your church leaders, we cover your prayers for guidance as well. But the point is, if you're a leader or a parent, when faced with an alarming situation, no matter what type, your first response should always be, turn to the Lord for direction. That's what King Jehoshaphat did. So, first, Jehoshaphat and his people turned to God for guidance, and then the second thing Jehoshaphat does is he waits for God to answer. And, and, and not just he, but the entire nation, they stand and they wait. Check this out. It's a family affair in verses 13 through 15. It says... All the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. And then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jezezel, son of Zechariah, and the son of Benai, the son of Jael, the son of Matthiah, and Le- a Levite, a descendant of Aspah, as he stood in the assembly, and he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. So everybody, right? Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Now, two things jump out of the pages of Scripture right there. First, like a father comforting a child, the Lord says, don't worry, my child, I've got this. And second, the really important truth, I think, is found in the phrase, then the Spirit of the Lord came. So here it is. They all prayed, and then they all, as a nation, waited until the Spirit of God came. So I'm guessing, I, but I think this is a pretty good guess, but it's a guess, but I'll tell you, uh, you tell me, church family, over the last few weeks of this pandemic, has your has your prayer life increased? Your prayer time increased? Listen, I, I'm not making fun. Prayer time in our family, I think, has gone up big time. My wife, who is a mother and a grandmother and a friend to many, she turned our bedroom into a prayer room, otherwise known as the war room, okay? And we as a church staff are making a point to be informed of our church family needs, Uh, and so as a staff and an eldership we can lift up those urgent needs in prayer and if that's any indication and i think it is then yes i think we're all praying a lot more and i think anytime we face trouble we do that okay we turn to god and we pray which is good and right as we pray for guidance and help but here's the question do we wait long enough to hear his answer do we be still before god and listen Listen for that small, still voice of the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Let me ask you, church family, you ever have a troubling situation like with a company or your bank or your doctor, anybody, a situation where you, call, you have to call in on the phone and you either have to wait on hold or leave a message and then wait for a call back? Because if you have and you really need an answer and you want to get an answer, I mean, like in real troubling situations, well, there's really no question because you really want an answer, right? So you stay on hold and you wait and you wait as long as it takes, right? Yeah. How about when you pray for a need? How about when you're facing a troubling situation and you don't know what now, okay? How long do you stay on hold before God? I mean, I mean do you? Or do you just leave a message and wait for a callback? Me, personally, I do both, okay? Sometimes I pray and I just leave it at the Lord's feet and I go on. Sometimes, especially when I'm looking for guidance as a church leader or a parent, I try and wait for the Lord's guidance, listening for the Spirit's lead. And I'm better at doing this at the waking moments, those early morning hours, okay? I can just pray and then just kind of lay there and listen and listen, okay? But for a three-alarm crisis, like the Assyrians are at the backdoor moments, I journal my prayers, which forces me to be long before the Lord. And somehow making a written record opens my ears and my heart to the Spirit's leading as that prayer goes on for pages and pages, and as I write, I can listen. And I have to tell you, I've only journaled like that for long periods of time, maybe two, three times in my life, but so you know, I started a new journal on March 15th. I mean, as your, your pastor, your preacher, as a husband and a father, I'm praying a lot, and I'm listening a lot, too. I'd encourage you all to do the same. Now, the third thing Jehoshaphat did was he acknowledged his place in relationship to God. Verses 18 and 19 says, Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshipped before him. And then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Koranites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. You know at this point, with assurances from God that it's all going to be good, That God's got this jehoshaphat could have played the part of a big man because he's still the king, right? I mean, that's a pretty lofty position and he could have taken credit because calling upon god was his idea And the lord did address he the king first so he could have played the part of the big cheese I mean, he could have played it up politically saying under my administration, you know But I want us all to see that's not what he did For what jehoshaphat did was he humbled himself before the lord. In other words, he bowed down And he acknowledged the lord's headship over him by worshiping him for he knew that there is only one who is truly king only one who is in control and has god almighty power so he did what any good servant would do he worshiped and he praised the one who was really in control so they turned to god in guidance for prayer they stood and they waited for an answer they acknowledged their proper place in relationship to god and then the next day in verses 20 through 23 what does jehoshaphat do well he reminds the people of god's faithfulness he reminds the people of god's faithfulness now the lord has already told them listen people of judah this battle is mine right right church family yeah yeah god said i've got this trust in me and leave this to me so church family if you're the king or a church leader or leader of any kind say you know like a parent or basically an adult who makes their own decisions How do you do? How do you do when someone tells you, hey, I've got this, okay? And and if all doesn't go well, it means certain disaster for you, okay? I mean, how well do you do at just waiting around to see if the other really do has you covered, if they've got your back, so to speak? I mean, say it's a life and death type decision, and it's God who told you, go ahead, I've got it covered. How, How do you do at trusting in that? I mean, what happens if you move your family to a distant land that God promised to show you, but then he doesn't show you and things don't work out the way you thought they would? What happens if you build a big boat in the backyard because God tells you it's going to rain, but the, long, the rain's a long time in coming? What happens if you're the, queen's, the, the king's queen and you risk your life by speaking out against the king's most trusted man? I mean, what if the king doesn't buy in? And what happens if, I mean, do you really want to put your life in the hands of someone else who said, this is what the Lord said to me, what the Lord told me to tell you, like this prophet had said to all of Judah? I mean, what if the prophet's not right? What if he gets it wrong? Listen, friends, one of the hardest things to do as a leader is to just kind of put it out there and then stand back and trust God. One of the hardest things. I mean, you really have to give credit to King Jehoshaphat, I think, for the next morning comes, and he could have gone out. and and been about the king's business as normal and made ready for war. I mean, he could have ordered the soldiers to make ready just in case, you know. He could have had them brace themselves for battle, but he didn't do that. All because he believed the message that he received was true. And because he knew the Lord would be faithful, okay? So, so you know what he does? He reminds his people, all right? He, he gives them confidence too, you know? He, uh, God's people, that, that, God, that God has a very long history of being faithful. And the prophets did the very same thing as well as they proclaimed God's faithfulness over, over the ages, you know? And to prove his faith, instead of putting his armed forces out on the front line, he instead calls upon the Levite singers to take the lead in the battle. And, and they're not armed with traditional weapons of war, are they? No, no, they're not. Instead, they are armed with songs of praise. In other words, he puts the choir out front, okay? And so here's, here's where it gets really interesting, church. Because what happens is, as the praising of the Lord begins, the advance of, of God begins, okay? I mean, just like when the Levites set foot in the Jordan River years before, in that moment of the stepping out in faith began, the Jordan River stopped flowing, right? Likewise, here on this occasion, when the praising begins, the Lord begins his deliverance by setting the ambush among the three enemies. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us really, It doesn't really go into a lot of detail about how this all comes down. So we kind of have to use our sanctified imagination a little bit. But I envision a fight broke out between two soldiers over who had the tougher army. Like who would kill the most enemy soldiers? Kind of like if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, you know, you got the dwarf and the elf who are always uh, debating about who's the better warrior you know who's going to kill the, the the more enemies okay now they don't go at each other but it, it's kind of a contest they're competitive only this time these two soldiers decide you want you want to prove who's tougher let's just go at it and so this battle broke out between the Edomites and the Moabites and then the Ammonites jumped in to help the Moabites and together they destroyed they destroyed the Edomites at Mount Sur okay for Mount Sir. and then when the battle was over I don't know I guess one side claimed that they were better did a better job of fighting or something And another fight broke out between these two armies but however it went down, okay, however it went down, until it was all over, it probably came down to these two men, one from each tribe, killing each other, you know, kind of like with their final blow, okay? And the end result was, when the army of Judah arrived on the scene, praising God, you know, the choir out front, praising God, the enemy was already defeated and lying dead on the battlefield. And all that is left to do for the army of Judah was to gather up all the plunder, and the Bible tells us the plunder was so great that it took them three days to collect it all. Now, a lot of leaders would have lost their head at this point and started boasting about the great victory that they just won, taking credit and all, you know? After all, the enemy is now dead, and they're no longer a threat, so why not? I mean, Jehoshaphat could have boasted at how he led them to victory, But once again, I want you to see what sets this king apart from so many others, okay? So many others who failed the kingdom and the people, you know, uh, that that they represented, okay, before him, why, why they had failed. What sets him apart? Well, he doesn't take credit. He just steps out of God's way, and he lets God get all the credit for his faithfulness. And how does he assure that it's God who gets the credit for the victory? Well, the last thing we'll look at this morning from the Jehoshaphat story is how he leads the people in giving credit and praise to the Lord. He leads them in praise of the Lord. Verses 26 through 28. On the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Barak where they praised the Lord. This is why it's called the Valley of Barak to this day. Then led by Jehoshaphat and all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and they went to the temple of the Lord with harps, slayers, and trumpets. So on the fourth day after the battle was over and all the plunder was, was gathered up, Jehoshaphat gathered his men in the valley of Barak, which means valley of praise, and they all together praised the Lord for what he had done. Now, this is something we see in scripture. It's a custom of sorts, okay? Uh, I mean, this is what the Israelites were to do on, a journey, on their journey to the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, after God delivered them over the egyptians at the red sea okay and we see king david doing this as he leads a procession after a victory dancing and praising god okay this was the custom of victorious armies So Jehoshaphat leads them in a procession back to Jerusalem, right up to the temple of God, and they're playing harps and lutes and trumpets as they praise and they celebrate the victory that the Lord has provided, okay? And if you've ever worshipped with us on a Victory Sunday, this is where the whole idea of Victory Sunday comes from. It's a day to praise God and celebrate his victories, okay? So so that's the Jehoshaphat story. That's the Jehoshaphat story that is part of God's greater story. So... What have we learned, church family? Well, on the greater story of God type scale, we see God is teaching his people that he is always faithful. And as for God's people, we see that they're learning that they are not in control, okay? In other words, they they are dependent and in need of God, a deliverer, a savior, if you will. They can't do it on their own. And in doing so, God is preparing his people for a future time when he, when he will send the great deliverer, okay, a savior of all mankind once and for all. And by saving them now, he is preserving the very tribe, Judah, from which this savior will one day come. For the prophets will declare from the tribe of Judah, the Messiah will be born. So that's God's story and that's the Jehoshaphat story. But what about your story? What about my story? What have we learned? Well, I hope it's not that God is always going to fight our battles and we don't have to lift a finger because a careful search of Scripture will show that that seldom happens, okay? I mean, it's not a thing that happens on a regular basis. It's kind of like, you know, uh, a fire and the prophets of Baal type of thing. Elijah prophets of Baal. It only happens once in a great while. No, the point is that every once in a while, a situation arrives that reminds us of this truth, a truth that we have often forgotten, but ought not forget, okay? And that is, control is an illusion for you and I. For there is only one being who truly has control over world events and only one who is able to give victory. And it is only when we as individuals and as a church recognize that we are a finite power and really we are able to do nothing and then turn to the Lord for guidance and strength that we truly are unleashing, the power that the world is unable to explain. This is the lesson we once learned on 9-11. And this is the lesson we have been reminded of once again. And this is the lesson we need to remember as we move forward into the battle that lies before us. I pray we remember when those around us look to us and ask us, now what? Okay. May those who follow find us faithful. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray that it might be so. Father, we come before you this morning praising your name and your, your grace and your mercy and your protective arm, Lord, over your people. We give thanks for the life of Jehoshaphat and his faithfulness to you, but Lord, we know that the greater faithfulness is always you. It's always you. So Lord, we, we come today and we lift our lives before you. In the middle of this great enemy that we face, right now we we stand in a situation in our nation and the world, actually, that many people are looking to those that are in charge at various positions, saying, now what? What do we do now? Lord, I pray that we might always remember this lesson, that we turn our eyes upon you, and we look to you for guidance, and we wait as long as it takes that we might receive it that we remember our proper relationship with you, Lord, and, and that uh, we trust in you, and we praise you, and we give thanks to you, and we give you credit for the victories. Lord, we lift, uh, we, we give praise of our Lord and Savior, our King, Jesus Christ, who's already won the ultimate victory for us, and Lord, we just await his return that, that, that uh, uh, everything would come to culmination, but Lord, we, we just lift our lives up before you in this time, praying that our eyes would always be upon you, for we do not know what. We trust in you, Lord. We love you. We give you praise. In Christ's name we pray for his kingdom,